Over 25 years ago, on September 29, 1998, we watched a brainy girl with curly hair drop everything to follow a guy she only kind of knew all the way to college. And so began Felicity. My name is Juliette Littman, and I'm a Felicity superfan. Join me, Amanda Foreman, who you may know better as Megan, the roommate, and Greg Grunberg, who you may also know as Sean Blunberg, as the three of us revisit our favorite moments from the show and talk to the people who helped shape it. Listen to Dear Felicity, presented by Walmart on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Today is Tuesday, July 13th, 2021. On this day in 1966, serial killer Richard Speck slaughtered eight nursing students. The grisly mass murder is still remembered today as one of the ugliest in American history. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a Spotify original from Parcast. Due to the graphic nature of these crimes, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions and depictions of sexual violence and suicide that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. Today we're covering the brutal murders of eight women committed by Richard Speck. Let's go back to Chicago, Illinois, on the evening of July 13th, 1966. A heat wave had swallowed the city when 53-year-old Ella Mae Hooper slipped from one dive bar to another for a few drinks. As the hours passed, something gave her a bad feeling. A young, blonde man was following her. When she left one bar for the next, he trailed just behind. Ella tried to pick up her pace, but it was already too late. When she turned the corner on a vacant street, the man lunged from the darkness. He was 24-year-old Richard Speck, a troubled young man with a foot-long knife dangling from his belt and a slow southern drawl. He pointed his knife at Ella's back and walked her to his room at the nearby Shipyard Inn. He raped her and stole a 22 caliber pistol from her purse. When it was over, he disappeared. Thankfully, Ella never had to see him again, but for Richard Speck, the night was just starting. Meanwhile, down the road, nursing students at the South Chicago Community Hospital were trickling back into their townhouse rooms. In house number 2319, 23-year-old Cora Amarau climbed into bed at 10.30 p.m. She and two other young women, Merlita Gargulo and Valentina Passion, were exchange students from small rural Filipino towns. Of the three, Cora was the brash one, but they were all soft-spoken and homesick. They shared the cramped house with Americans, who were friendly but not close to the exchange students. Three of them were part of a tightly knit clique of girls. But at 11 that evening, only one of them was already home, 23-year-old Nina Schmael. Nina was the most popular and beloved student on campus. Two other roommates were also tucked in bed, Pat Matusik, a family girl and an athletic swimmer, and Pamela Wilkening, who everyone called Willie. She loved fast cars and worshipped her older brother Jack, who was a racer. Most were home by 11 p.m. on the 13th, as Cora was falling asleep in her top bunk. At that same time, Richard Speck reached the back of the house. 
following his attack on Ella May Hooper, he redressed all in black. He pried a window open with a double-edged switchblade and forced his way into the kitchen. Minutes after she'd fallen asleep, Cora woke to someone knocking on her bedroom door. The moment Cora turned the lock, Speck shoved the door open and held the 22 caliber pistol to her. Cora had never seen a gun in person before and immediately froze. Speck marshaled all the nurses to the large shared bedroom in the back of the house. In the commotion, the three Filipino women jumped into the closet and held the door shut with their bodies. Speck convinced one of the Americans to tell them that he wasn't going to hurt them, he only wanted money. Around that time, 22-year-old Gloria Davy arrived home from her date. She was part of the in-group, a mix of all-American sweetheart and poetry-loving intellectual. Speck forced her to join the others on the floor. One by one, the girls surrendered any cash they had. The whole time, Speck sued the girls with his slow drawl, assuring them this would all be over soon. He promised them he would leave, even as he began cutting bedsheets to bind the wrists and ankles of the seven nurses. Speck clearly wasn't just there for money. At a quarter past midnight, he dragged Willie into another room. The nurses heard a soft grunt through the door, then nothing. Cora and the exchange students wanted to either rush Speck or try to escape, but the Americans told them not to create conflict. They were scared and still believed Speck was just a thief. That's when they heard a cry and a scuffle in the next room. That sound was a grisly warning about how the night would end. Up next, Richard Speck draws blood. The CIA, they're the first line of defense for the United States, analyzing intelligence to thwart any possible threats and keep us safe. Some of their involvements are made public and others aren't. Hi, it's Carter from Parcast, and in honor of America's birthday, we're uncovering the cases you were never supposed to know about in the new series, Conspiracy Theories CIA Edition. From international assassination plots and mind control experiments to catastrophic cover-ups and secret societies fit for film, sift through the agency's most questioned and controversial affairs. Each week, Conspiracy Theories CIA Edition exposes the covert operations intended to protect us from conflicts, but end up creating conspiracies. Where does the truth lie? Where do the lies end? And how much do we really want to know? Follow the new Spotify original from Parcast, Conspiracy Theories CIA Edition. Listen every Thursday, free and only on Spotify. Over 25 years ago, on September 29th, 1998, we watched a brainy girl with curly hair drop everything to follow a guy she only kind of knew all the way to college. And so began Felicity. My name is Juliette Littman, and I'm a Felicity superfan. Join me, Amanda Foreman, who you may know better as Megan, the roommate, and Greg Grunberg, who you may also know as Sean Blunberg, as the three of us revisit our favorite moments from the show and talk to the people who helped shape it. Listen to Dear Felicity, presented by Walmart on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Now back to the story. On July 13th, 1966, 
Richard Speck broke into a townhouse and killed eight young women. The situation turned bloody around 12.30 a.m. 21-year-old Suzanne Ferris had just arrived from her night out, bringing her friend Marianne Jordan along with her. Heading into a bedroom, they walked in on Speck preparing to rape their friend, Willie. He took the women hostage at gunpoint, but they fought back. According to a story Speck told later, one of the girls said she would pick him out of a lineup and spat in his face. He flew into a blind rage, slashing and stabbing them dozens of times. He then stabbed Willie in the heart. After that, Speck focused on eliminating the remaining witnesses. He took the nurses out, one by one, to murder in another room. By then, the girls understood what was happening and tried to hide. But at 2.30 a.m., Cora and Gloria Davy were the only ones left. When Speck returned, he found Gloria, who was still bound and asleep from drinking champagne on her date that evening. Cora heard Speck attack Gloria on one of the beds before carrying her downstairs. For 50 agonizing minutes, Cora wriggled to a better hiding spot under a bed along the west wall of the room. Speck returned, flipped on a light, but completely forgot about the ninth nurse. At 3.30 a.m. on July 14th, Speck walked out the front door. Cora was still paralyzed with fear, unsure if he was still in the house. Shortly after 5 a.m., she crawled from her hiding spot and climbed out onto the window ledge. Then she screamed. It took almost 20 minutes of crying for help before people started to notice. A crowd gathered outside house number 2319. Cora pleaded with the other nursing students and house mothers not to go inside because the lunatic might still be in there. Authorities and press turned the crime scene into a madhouse. Police and veteran reporters vomited on the lawn from witnessing the carnage inside. Cora was sent to another house. Investigators focused on protecting her from media attention as she recovered from the trauma. She was the one person who could bring the killer to justice. At around 10.30 that morning, Richard Speck had his first round at Pete's Tap, a bar within walking distance of the killings. He continued drinking at various bars throughout the day. At one point when the news came on TV, reporters announced one of the nurses had survived the night. Speck grew quiet. It was clear police were looking for him. A clerk at the Union Hall soon called the shipyard inn where Speck was staying and claimed to have a job for him aboard the Sinclair Great Lakes. But Speck knew the Sinclair had already shipped out, meaning an officer was likely listening on the line. When police entered the shipyard inn, asking for a blonde man with a southern accent, Speck kept his head down until they left. Then he hailed a cab to a rough neighborhood, hoping the heat would die down. For days, Speck hid out on the streets. By July 16th, he was in a cubicle, literally renting one out for 90 cents a day. A train-hopping wanderer named One-Eye had abandoned him, finding his company unbearable. 
while buying cheap alcohol at a liquor store, the friendless speck saw his face and name splattered over the newspapers. Back in his rented cubicle, Speck attempted suicide, but eventually called out, begging for water instead. The commotion drew attention and someone called an ambulance. No one cared to give him any water. In the ER, rookie doctor Leroy Smith held a newspaper up to the dying Speck. At 1.30 a.m., police surrounded the room as doctors and nurses worked to save the killer's life just so he could face justice. On Tuesday, July 19th, Cora went incognito in a nurse's uniform and stood outside Speck's prison hospital room. After staring at him for three minutes, she told investigators that he was the murderer before collapsing from terror. On December 5, 1991, Speck died from a major heart attack while serving eight consecutive 50 to 150 year terms in maximum security. Pathologists removed his brain to study it for abnormalities. However, after an initial round of research, the brain went missing and no one knows where it is today. Cora, meanwhile, returned to live in America in 1969 with her new husband. In 2016, 50 years after the killings, she had retired from nursing. She's a grandmother now, with a 100-person extended family. Although she periodically has nightmares about Speck, she lives her life to the fullest. Thanks for listening to Today in True Crime. I'm Vanessa Richardson. You can find more episodes of Today in True Crime and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. We'll be back with a brand new episode tomorrow in True Crime. Today in True Crime is a Spotify original from ParCast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Paul Liebeskin, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Bruce Kitovich. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Daniel William Gonzalez, with writing assistance by Terrell Wells, and fact-checking by Bennett Logan. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Hi, it's Carter from ParCast. Every Thursday on Conspiracy Theories CIA Edition, we're uncovering secrets hidden deep within the archives of the Central Intelligence Agency to bring you a special collection of episodes from shows across our network. Follow the new Spotify original from ParCast, Conspiracy Theories CIA Edition. Listen free only on Spotify. Spotify.